The scripture reading today is from Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Parker. Well, I'm grateful to be able to bring this sermon to you this morning and convicted nonetheless because it's a sermon about the truth, uh, about how we speak. And uh, I have to speak to you quite often. So, as the Bible even says, I'm under as much, if not more, judgment than anybody. And uh, it's interesting as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the entire thing is uh, in the beginning of Matthew, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, Matthew is the first gospel in the New Testament. And in this sermon, which lasted probably about 12 to 15 minutes, they say, which, you know, most of us would love that sermon every week, right? Um, they uh, say that, that Jesus went up on a mountainside, that Matthew says this, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples, they came to him and sat to listen. And as they did, the number one thing they'd want to ask is, is this guy really telling the truth? Is he for real? Because they'd probably heard a lot of rabbis They've actually had other people engage the city and the culture in a way of, hey, we're going we're gonna to free uh, the Jewish people from Roman oppression. We're going to do this and speak a lot of things, a lot of information out there. And there's a phrase that Jesus uses over and over, and particularly even six times. We saw it last week and the week before. And in here he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. That would be an alarm to them to say, this, this guy identifies with kind of the Mosaic law, the law of the Old Testament, the law of the Jewish people, that they, the bedrock of who they are. And yet he says, but I say to you, language of authority, language that his words are interpreting. He's not throwing it out. He's saying, I have the authority to give you the understanding of what this law really means. And for them, that would be a big thing. And, and you get to this passage, particularly about oath-taking, <clears throat> Letting your yes be yes and your no be no? Wouldn't that be the question? Is this guy for real? I mean, as they're kind of checking Jesus out, it would be easy for them to say, is he just another person who's going to come and say he's going to do all these things and yet nothing ever happens? You know, we live in an age and a culture where on our phones we carry it constantly and we have information thrown to us over and over and over, right? Right? I mean, it's so easy to scroll. We have, even now, one of my favorite features is this, uh, this app on the iPhone that actually allows you to pick the articles that you want to read or from the periodicals, and it just imports them. So it lists them all out so you can see them. What are the daily articles from this and that and this and that? And they're constantly feeding me news and information. It, we are an information age. We are a, te- a group of tellers. And not only am I receiving it, I can put it out. I have several things of social media. I can plug, right? We are, we are a telling culture. We're a culture that tells it. But here's the problem oftentimes. We're sloppy in the way that we do it. I heard a sermon by a friend of mine who was talking about this, and 
he mentioned that he was looking during the political season. Now, I'm not going to go deep into that because we're all exhausted from it. But this is a funny illustration that he, he used from an article that he was looking on a computer. He was <clears throat> reading something or doing some work. And, you know, there was those things called clickbait, right, that pop up on an article or that are there next to you that have some sort of line or hook into, hey, click on this. Is this true? You know, and you're kind of reading it, and they want to get you to click off whatever you're doing and kind of fall into the rabbit hole. And oftentimes it can be something stupid or bad or horrible or whatever it may be. But, but he said, as he finally, he's like, okay, here's the line. Here's what it said. <clears throat> it said, Bernie Sanders could replace President Trump with little-known loophole. And he was like, okay, I know that's not true. I know that that can't happen, but he said, but I clicked on it anyway. So he clicked on it, and he was just like, okay, what, what, what is this about? And listen to what the article said. It, begins with this, it began with this. Read this article and then share with your friends. Here's exactly what we need to do to save our great society. The information here is what we've all been waiting for. By doing this, we can make Bernie the president on Inauguration Day rather than the president-elect Donald Trump. Next paragraph. Actually, no, we can't. There is no loophole that allows a random person to assume the office of president. That's pretty uh, basic common sense, but yet you clicked or shared this article anyway. Now, that, now, that right, now that's right where the real point of this post is. Our social media sites have been flooded with misinformation in the past few months. While this has always been the problem, it now appears to have exploded over this election season. We are seeing post after post stating just plain illogical things, and this is not a problem unique to any one side. Now listen to what he says here. There will be many people who click to share on this post because of its headline. They may not even click to open the story. They will never actually read these words. Ironically, these are the folks who need to hear it the most. Interesting, I, I checked out to see if this article was real because I heard him tell this story, I was like, and there it is. And isn't that us? Isn't the fact that we would love to have some sort of kernel of truth in our corner, and yet when we blast it out, we don't actually take the time to read it often. We don't really internalize it. And the way that we put ourselves out there is pretty sloppy. Oftentimes, the way that we use our words, we hope there isn't any real congruence to who we are. It's just that we know something and we just want to put it out there. See, isn't that us? This is what Jesus is coming at right here. Even centuries ago, millennia ago, people were doing this with the language of the law. Even Jesus' words trying to twist it and change it. And yet Jesus says our propensity is to try and push the congruence of who we are with what we say apart so that we can become limitless. And aren't we? Haven't we become limitless with our phones, with as much information as we need? But are we really truth tellers? Do people really believe us? Uh, isn't that one of the number one things you would say? That, and, and I would even hope and, and encourage that if there's anybody here who may not be a Christian or maybe kind of walking back into the church after many years that would maybe even see the fact that isn't part of the reason that may, maybe you or many of our friends don't like the church is because they cannot believe what we say? That what we say is not, doesn't hold much weight? And when we say it, it... it it's just information without any grounding and they see our lives or they see 
the incongruence with, with our hearts? I would say that Jesus is saying that, that if we really want to draw people into the truth of the gospel, the good news, that's good news, it's supposed to be spoken, then shouldn't we make sense of that? Here's where we're going with it this morning. There's just two simple things I think Jesus is drawing out. First is the problem that they have, the problem, our problem with the truth, and we have one. And then finally, what is the promotion of the truth? How do we promote it? Our problem with the truth is pretty easy here, as Jesus says. He says, again, you have heard it said a lot, people long ago, do not break an oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, obviously, when he keeps going, and there's another passage even in Matthew 23, where he unpacks this to say they were taking oaths in that day in order for them to become limitless. In order, so the Jewish people <clears throat> were... Uh, Moses warned them often of taking a false um, oath. Even if you've read the Bible before, oaths were commonplace. Sometimes used in helpfulness, sometimes not. Jesus is not saying any oath that we take today is wrong. He's not saying that. He's saying the use of oaths was used in order for people to say one thing and be able to get what they wanted. And they would twist the law of Moses even to do it. They would guard themselves from any falsehood and yet make themselves look really good by saying yes to things or no to things. And then there's this formula even, right? But I tell you, do not swear on oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, or by his footstool, or by Jerusalem. What is that about? See, you could actually, and through the Mishnah, which was Jewish law, you could actually swear on something without swear by it and you, you could get away with breaking any oath that you made, any truth that you put out. If you just twisted your words a little bit, you could say, no, 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 uh, I didn't really mean that. If you swear by Jerusalem, but not swear to Jerusalem, you see how the twisting, it's small, subtle ways of the twisting of the truth. And that's where they would, they, they, and the, they would avoid, and this is why Jesus says, over and over, for it is God's throne, for it is his footstool. He's making the connection. Any connection to God himself was binding. So oftentimes it would connect to things that were outside of God. So any language that they could use that would make it sound as though they were pious or truth tellers and yet not connected to God himself, they could break it all they wanted. Jesus is saying you're destroying what it means to actually have a simple yes and a no, what it means to be someone who freshens life with truth. No one believes the truth. Destroying it altogether. What does it mean to be a whole person? It means we're, we're, we're dividing them. This is what the Pharisees were doing. They were dividing themselves, and we do the same. I, I, there's an article, and this is not to beat up on our social media, but it is interesting Oftentimes, over and over, how many articles come out about how we view social media, and this is what we do, and this one was called, I Tweet, Therefore I Am. It says, each Twitter post seemed a tacit referendum on who I am, or at least who I believe myself to be. The grocery store episode telegraphed that I was tuned into the Seinfeldian absurdities of life. My concern about women's victimization, however sincere, signaled that I also have a soul. Together they suggest someone who is at, one, at once cynical and compassionate, petty yet deep, which in the end I'd say is pretty accurate. 
The fun of Twitter, and I suspect, it's draw of millions of people. And you could substitute Facebook or Instagram here, I think, as she continues to type about Twitter, is its infinite potential for connection as well as its opportunity for self-expression. I enjoy those things myself, but when every thought is externalized, what becomes of insight? When we reflexively post on each feeling, what becomes of reflection? When friends become fans, what happens to intimacy? The risk of performance culture of the packaged self is that what roads the very relationships it purports to create and alienates us from our own humanity. Now, this was what I thought was interesting in her connection. Consider the fate of empathy. She begins to connect it to empathy. In an analysis of 72 studies performed in, on nearly 14,000 college students between 1979 and 2009, researchers at the Institute uh, <clears throat> found the sharpest decline occurring since 2000 in empathy. Social media not, may not have instigated the trend, by being, but by encouraging self-promotion over self-awareness, they may have well accelerated it. What I find interesting about that article isn't so much the, oh, our promotion of self, is the connection to empathy. And I think that's the huge thing. What is empathy? It's being with. It's someone actually knowing you and you knowing them. Empathy is you stepping into someone else's world and saying, hey, I want to really learn what it's like to be you. I really want you to learn what it's like to be me. And that the trend that social media hasn't caused it but has it caused us to allow ourselves to not really engage, not really let people know who we are in the truth, be able to say one thing and be a whole other world in, in, in somewhere else? And I think it does beautifully. We love it. It's delicious. It's easy to do. It's easy to post a million things. And yet, who are we really? What do people really see us as? And even as we post, what is it doing? What does it promote? The problem with the truth is, it ha is that we, we want to remove its power. We want to promote ourselves as infinite and promote the truth as limited. And Jesus is saying the very opposite of that. Jesus is trying to say the truth is limitless. The truth is infinite and you are finite. You cannot maneuver around who you are and say things and promote things in order to make yourself seem infinite or seem greater than you are. And isn't that what we do? We're limiting the truth. And we do so. We create systems just as, as they created oaths. We create our own systems. Here's how we do it. We speak to people in tones and in ways that try and cause them to like us better. Or we, we say yes to things. We're about to hit this in a minute. Or no to things. Or maybe not no at all. In order that we can have people in our corner, in order to promote ourselves. Why is it so hard for us on an evite or any of those kind of things to actually click no? Or when we click maybe, or if we put yes, we write a long sentence of why we can't make it. Because we have a hard time with it. We have a hard time with the way people see us. Because we want ourselves to be promoted over the truth. We want the truth to be used for our own gain. And what we do in the process is destroy it. We remove the congruence between us and the truth. 
I love this book. It's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. It was written by a woman named Ruth Barton. She talks about kind of our margins and limits. She said this, when you reach the limits of your resources or abilities, you have no margin left. And yet because we don't even know what margin is, we don't realize it is gone. We know something is not right, but we can't solve the puzzle beyond that. Our pain is palpable, but our assailant remains unnamed. So the question is, what is your system? Do you see it? Do you use the truth to push the margins of your life, your limits? And and I'm about to hit on that hard in a second because of the promotion of that. But do we see that? Do you find yourself becoming more irritable, restless, angry with those around you? Because we're using niceties instead of promoting our yes and our no. Promoting ourselves, putting ourselves out there. Do you find yourself becoming emotionally numb? You find yourself making more and more commitments in your work, in your home, to your spouse, to your children, to your friends, than you can maintain. Trying to show face enough, trying to say, yeah, I I can maybe do that enough so that you can keep relationship, but what you're doing is actually eroding it because we think we can manipulate the truth of who we are with what we say. The congruence. This is why confession is so important because when we're coming to God to talk about who we are and we all have this disgustingness, a part of us, isn't the biggest thing that people talk about church that they hate is they feel like they could talk to anybody outside of these walls and yet when they come in here, they don't feel like they can ever really be congruent with what, who they are when they say things. The people can't come in here and say, Yep, I'm a mess too. Isn't that what we long for? Isn't that what we need? Isn't that what we destroy the truth of what this is actually supposed to be? And yet that is what we promote, is our limitlessness. That's what Jesus is saying. But he says there's another part of this, the promotion of the truth, and that there's a promotion. And here's the issue where it hits that the promoting of the truth comes through this. It first comes through the problem we have when we make our yes more than it should be, right? He says, a simple yes or no. When does your yes become more? When does it become more? When it begins controlling you. When your yes begins controlling you and becomes out of control to where you say yes to so many people and so many things around you, And yet you fail in those things, thinking that you need to be everything for everybody. What does your yes mean in relationships? Do people trust you when they ask you things? When they ask you a a simple truth about money or work or friendships or your heart? Do we avoid the realities of what is there, the yes, yes, I am this person, yes, I I did that thing. When does our yes become more than it should be and not enough of the simple truth? There's an old book that some of you may have heard of. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. It's a book written many, many, many centuries ago. It's kind of an allegory of sorts of the Christian life. And there's one character in there called Mr. Facing Both Ways. There's a pastor that kind of unpacked Mr. Facing Both Ways, and listen to Mr. Facing Both Ways' description. You may trust some men as far as you can see them, but no further, for new company makes them new men. 
Like water, they boil or freeze according to the temperature. Some do this because they have no principles. They are of the, of the, uh, like a weather vane pers- persuasion and turn in the wind wherever. Others are shifty because they are so desperate of fond and good fellowship. They say, hail fellow, we met, is their cry. But they are so good natured that they must be needy with everyone. Do we use our yes and our no in ways that are artificial for people, that we're not actually having deeper relationships? Is your yes who you are? Does it really represent your heart? When people hear your yes, do they know that you're actually invested in them and in what you're doing with them? Tim Keller wrote uh, uh, something on this, and he just unpacked it from what the Bible is saying. It's called the speech act theory. In other words, he says that God's word always has action associated with it. So wherever we see God's action, his word is always intimately tied to his character. That is who he is. Are we reflecting that? This is what Jesus is trying to get at. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you really want to follow me, you need to take a look at your words. Do they really reflect the actions that you take? Or is there an avoidance? Do we say yes to things to to keep conflict at bay? Do we say yes to things when we should actually say no because we, we just don't want people to think we're weak or we can't handle something in our business or in our relationships? Do we say yes to keep people away from us in conflict so that we can appease everyone? How do you handle your yes? And when does your no, that's when your yes becomes more, when does your no become less? Truth can disappoint, right? Truth disappoints. When we say no to things, it shows that we're limited, and we hate that. We hate the fact that we have to say no to certain things, and people look at us and they say, really? And we feel the disappointment. We feel the shame that we can't do it. Are you okay with being disappointed? Are you, are you okay sitting with the loss of saying no? And I don't mean just saying no to other people like easy no's. I'm talking about the moments where you and I have the hardest time saying no to people because if we do, it means that we might miss out. They might see us as less. They might see us as not good in our business or not good in our relationships. Are we actually able to say no and sit with disappointment and actually embrace our limits with being disappointed? I remember hearing this years ago from a a friend of mine who's another who was uh, working on campus. And he said, you really are starting to understand grace when you can begin to say no to a lot of things. When you enjoy saying no and know that it doesn't mean you're just being rude, you actually embrace no because you know that everything doesn't revolve around you. That you have truth, that your no has weight, and we have made our no less. Promotion of the truth means making our no mean something. When people hear no, they respect it. They can say, okay, I I hear your no, that's okay. I get it. And they don't think you're waffling on them. They don't think you're you're just saying no, maybe, no, I can't really... 
they hear a no and they respect it. How much would it mean for us to be in this city and let our yes and no be simply that and actually reflect, reflect the character of God in the city just simply by our yes and no? Can you imagine? So many of, of you I've talked to about what does it mean for me to actually share Jesus with people? Wouldn't it be amazing that if you just had integrity with your yes and your no, that you're sharing Jesus right there? Do you know how many people, if you read in Acts, which is a narrative of, of faith, of people coming to, to faith, Jesus wasn't in the book of Acts. It's about the people that carried on later. Do you know there's so many places where people came to faith in Jesus simply because people said yes and no? There's a jailer who is an incredible pragmatist who comes to faith because his followers, Paul, Jesus' followers, Paul, says, we're still here. No, we haven't left. We're here for you. And he says he can't believe it. He can't believe that they stayed, that he, they actually showed integrity to be with him. Empathy. Yes, no. See, here's the crux of the whole thing. Do you know your limits and are you willing to love your limits? Isn't that the, the point of the truth? The truth is always coming to you and saying with a big mirror in your face that you and I hate and seeing where we really fall short. That, isn't that what the truth does? But isn't it often refreshing to you to say, yeah, I really am that way. To actually see the reality and to have someone sit there with you in it to love your limits, to know your limits and to love them, to embrace them. Do you know them? Do you know where your limits are and are willing to stop there and, and, and to embrace it and to actually love your limits, to, be, to know how you're loved? Like, do, you, do you realize that the end of this one is very different than the other ones that we've seen about adultery, divorce, other, other type things? He ends it by saying, Anything beyond this comes from the evil one or from evil. The evil one, that being Satan. Now, I don't know where you come from on this spectrum of understanding of spiritual warfare, that there is Satan, there are demons. I believe the Bible is telling us there's truth that there is, but that, that what he's saying is the evil one, the one who is the adversary, the liar, the, anything outside of that, do you know how big this is, the promotion of the truth is so important that if we do not promote it, we're actually showing an opposite kingdom. He's not saying that you're just, you're messing up here. He's saying you're, there are two kingdoms. If you promote the truth, it's one. If you don't, you're actually showing a different kingdom. You're showing a kingdom that is full of evil, because what we're doing is creating an alternate universe with our words without saying yes and no and the meaning something and having weight. There's actually a CNN post that says that um, several studies, listen to this, several studies have found on average that an average person is lied to 10 to 200 times a day, mostly just to keep good conversation going, to avoid conflict or establish a connection with someone. There are a half dozen or so falsehoods we hear every day that can lead us down the wrong path in our careers, change how we do business, or dramatically influence our personal lives. 
That's not a Bible quote. That's CNN telling us how we utilize this, this false congruence between our yes and our no. What kingdom are we promoting? The promotion of the truth brings freshness. It brings life in the midst of death. It shows those around us what it really means to have life. And here's the fascinating thing about this, that Jesus is the person of truth. See, the beautiful thing about this passage is the fact that the one speaking this was called the Word. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible before or heard this, but Jesus is called the Word made flesh. What a fascinating thing to be called. Why do you think Jesus was called the Word? For a few reasons. Some of these are, first, that he is the only one, is a perfect word for us. The only one that had congruence in his being with who he was and saying things was Jesus, was this person. His yes and no were perfect all the time. It wasn't a mistake that he was called the word because he was the word that we needed. He's the word we trust. Look, if you're here this morning and again, you're, you're dabbling in this or maybe you're a Christian and you're like, yeah, I've heard this stuff before. If you ignore the fact that Jesus is the word, is the truth in love for your life, you will miss the gospel. You will miss the good news. You will miss the fact that this table means that Jesus did, made himself limited to make the truth limitless. That's what this table's about. The person of the truth is Jesus, the only one who we could believe everything that he said. And everything he said, not everybody liked. Not everybody enjoyed. Many people walked away from him, even sad. But he remained the word, the word made flesh. That's why he's called the way, the truth, and the life, is that he is the one, the only one that we can believe in, we can trust in, to be freed in the truth, to actually say our yes and say our no, and they actually mean something. Would you believe that this morning? I would call all of you to him again this morning. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, I actually wanna encourage you to put your trust in the one whose word wasn't just what he said, it was his actual being. You can trust him. He put it into his blood and body for you. And if you're here this morning and maybe you are a Christian, I, I, would, I would really ask your, your faith to be rocked this morning, as well as mine, by the way that even CNN can call us out for the t- ways that we lie about ourselves. Can we be honest? Can we be honest and see the mirror for who we are and be embraced in empathy with a savior that comes not just with a word, but in word made flesh to you again so that you can be made whole. That's what this table's about. That's why we come here this morning. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't trust in that and you would say this table, I don't know if I can believe that. I would encourage you to stay in your seat. 
I'd encourage you to think on the words. Think on the word made flesh. But if you are his, if you trust in him, knowing that his word alone is life, then come take this. Eat it. It is yours. Let's stand together and recite.